Uh, I'm going to invite you to open your Bible to this text in Philippians chapter 4. With uh, two or three weeks, I get to preach on Sunday nights. And I thought I might do something just kind of interesting to me, something um, I hope you find helpful. I don't want to sound arrogant or negative about things, but you, there are a lot of people who use verses in lots of ways they have no idea what the verse means. Are you, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, you see bumper stickers, you see them on coffee mugs, you see them on t-shirts, you see them tattooed. You, you see all these verses out there, and people have a good point. I mean, they have a, it's a way of expressing spirituality. It's a way of saying, I believe in God, I trust in God, I'm trying to follow God. And that's, that's fine and that's good, but sometimes people are using these verses in a way that you think, I don't think that's what it means. One author calls this the trinketization of American Christianity. We've taken faith, we've taken scriptures, and we've boiled them into little trinkets of keychains and coffee mugs. And, and again, don't get me wrong, I think whenever God's Word is made available, whenever God's Word is read or someone is exposed to God's Word, I think God can work through that and I think God can do wonderful things. But at the other end of the spectrum, I think we need to be very careful about how we represent God and how we represent God's Word. And so again, not to be overly negative, but there are just some... There are some verses, and so over the next two or three weeks, I want, to, I want to pick one, two, three of these verses and just say, here's what people are saying about it, but here's what maybe the text is actually meaning. Now, for this evening, it's a very familiar text, but I, I thought I could illustrate this through satire. A few weeks ago, or about a month or so ago, uh, Ethan Garrett made me aware of... Uh, Ethan doesn't know what I'm about to say... Um, there's a website called the Babylon Bee. Are you guys familiar with this? It's a satirical website that takes things of faith and it kind of exposes the absurdity of what people do with faith. And it's kind of like if you're familiar with The Onion, kind of a news website that's not really news. Well, the Babylon Bee does the same thing and they illustrate this point very well. Let me just read a short article from you. The title... Devastated Steph Curry discovers context of Philippians 4.13. Oakland, California. Thoroughly baffled after losing Game 7 to the Cleveland Cavaliers Sunday night, despite his frequent assertion that he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him, which he assumed would include winning as many NBA titles as he desired, Steph Curry reportedly pulled his Bible out of his locker, hastily flipped to Philippians 4.13, to make sure he had been reading his life verse correctly all these years, only to discover, much to his devastation, multiple additional verses before and after the text. Wait, what are all these other words? Sources reported Curry is exclaiming after the unbelievable loss, which made Golden State Warriors the first team in NBA history to surrender a 3-1 to lead in the NBA Finals. I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content, he slowly read aloud. Seriously? In whatever situation? Ashok Curry reportedly then sat on the locker room floor in disbelief. It doesn't mean that I can do anything at all because of Jesus? I, I can't believe it, he reportedly muttered to himself in horror. At publishing time, sources confirm that a wave of relief has washed over Curry as he realized 
that while it would be nice for Philippians 4.13 to be an ironclad promise that any believer can literally do anything because of Jesus, the meaning he now understands it to have because of the context that Jesus is enough for any believer to be content in any situation he or she faces is even better, especially after the most disastrous finals collapse in NBA history. I love it. There's actually another, if you go on the website, because this text is so misused and abused, there's a whole other satirical article on this same thing. It's one of those verses that you see all over the place and used quite often. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. Now, the sad thing is, good humor or satire is usually so good and so funny because it's grounded in a bit of the truth. In 2009, there was an image of Tim Tebow on the cover of Sports Illustrated with Philippians 4.13 blacked out under his eyes. He was a, a believer, very successful football player. And that text became kind of this life text of his that was used in different ways. And there is a very prominent televangelist who wrote a commentary on this text, Ephesians, or Philippians 4.13. And this is his commentary. Most people tend to magnify their limitations. They focus on their shortcomings. But Scripture makes it plain. All things are possible to those who believe. That's right. It is possible to see your dreams fulfilled. It is possible to overcome that obstacle. It is possible to climb to new heights. It is possible to embrace your destiny. You may not know how it will all take place. You may not even have a plan. But all you have to know is that God said you can. You can. And that's how this text gets thrown around. Now, the problem is when verses like this are used in ways like these, it creates an image of God and an expectation of Christian faith that will leave people more devastated in the end than they were before you misquoted the verse. I mean, just think about this. When was the last time you read the book of Job? Job has three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And after Job's tragedy of losing everything, his children, his wealth, his reputation, everything, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar show up and we don't have time to do this tonight, but sometime I want you to notice every single argument those three friends make can be found in some way in the book of Proverbs with a misapplication of Scripture. Because what they're coming to Job and saying is, look, Job, we've read our Bible, and the reason you're suffering is because you haven't been faithful. Because we all know in Proverbs chapter 10, God will give long life and health to those who are faithful and righteous. God gives riches to the faithful and no sorrow with it. Job, that's what my Bible says. That doesn't look like what you're experiencing. And so at one point, one of the guys even says, Job, the reason your kids are dead is because they weren't all that faithful. Well, that's comforting, isn't it? And every argument that these three guys make to Job comes down to a misapplication of Scripture which leads to one of the greatest statements in all of the Old Testament where Job pretty much calls his friends a bunch of windbags. Surely wisdom will die with you. When you misappropriate Scripture, even with good intentions, it leaves people in worse case than they were before. 
And while a lot of people take Philippians 4.13, and it's a wonderful text, it's a powerful verse, it turns out that the text means almost exactly the opposite of how it's used. So I want to show you just this evening what I think Paul is experiencing in Philippians chapter 4. The book of Philippians is actually kind of an extended thank you note. Here Paul's sitting in a Roman prison. Hadn't talked to anybody in quite a while, it seems. Hadn't got any support, hadn't got any messages, hadn't heard much. When all of a sudden, Philippians chapter 4 says, Epaphroditus shows up. And Epaphroditus comes carrying this gift from the Philippian church. They've supported his ministry in the past. Paul mentions at least three other times. The Macedonian call, they were, they were part of that. He gets chased out of town and the Philippian church sends him money. He's in Thessalonica and the church of Philippi sends him money again. And now he's been in this jail for so long and he's worried. And after all this waiting and worrying, Epaphroditus shows up and he says, the church in Philippi has sent you something, Paul. Now, you don't send someone a long trip carrying money unless it's a pretty substantial amount of money. And so, imagine after all this worrying about whether the church in Philippi was safe and sound and faithful, that Epaphroditus shows up in your jail cell and says, Hey, I'm here and I want you to know our brothers in Christ in Philippi, they're still there too. In fact, Paul, they sent me all this money to give to you, to help you out, to provide food and help you support some other things. The church is fine. And that's kind of the setting of Philippians chapter 4. And so this verse from 10 through 20 is kind of Paul's thank you note. And the whole book of Philippians is like that, but it's a, it's a thank you note. I'm not good at writing thank you notes. I try to say thank you at the moment someone gives me something or does something nice for me. And then I get home and Delaney says, you need to send them a thank you note. So I told him, thank you. No, you need to write him a thank you note. I'll send him an email. No, you need to write a thank you note. And ladies, you know what it's like. You get a wedding gift or a baby shower gift. You take it somewhere and a week or two weeks go by and you haven't got a thank you note. You say, well, I wonder why I haven't sent a thank you note. We, we kind of expect thank you notes for things. And, and Philippians 4 is a thank you note. In fact, it's such a unique part, people sometimes think, this section of Philippians is a different section altogether, maybe from a different letter. Nevertheless, here it is, Philippians chapter 4. And it does have context. You realize when Paul writes these words, he's sitting in prison. When Paul says, I can do all things, as it's translated here, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What about the preacher who says you can become anything you want to become? You can achieve whatever you want to achieve. As Jesus is on your side, you're going to be great. He's in jail when he writes that. You think that's where he wants to be? You think that's how he planned for this ministry thing to work out? He's in jail. And he says, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you realize Paul's experience in the church at Philippi? When he first gets there, this is in Acts 16. You'll read this story. When Paul goes to the church in Philippi, where he's establishing the church, he first, he's preaching. He and, he and Silas are doing some preaching, and there's this servant girl. She's, she's abused, obviously, because people are using her as a sideshow, as a circus act. She's following them around town, saying, these men are servants of the Most High God. These men are servants of the Most High God. 
Now, while her message is true, she's quite annoying. You know how hard it is to preach when someone's sitting there saying, Servant of the Most High God, Servant of the Most High God. Thank you. We're, we're preaching here. We're servants of the Most High God. And Paul cast out this demon, and that upsets the people who use her as a sideshow. Because now they're not going to make their money. And so now they drag Paul and Silas before the magistrates in town who have them beaten and imprisoned. That's the beginning of Paul's work in the church of Philippi. It's midnight. They're singing and praying. There's an earthquake. The cell, jail cell falls down and the servant or the, the soldier watching the prison draws his sword to kill himself. And Paul says, we're all here. And the man says, what do I have to do to be saved? And that's the beginning of the ministry in Philippi. Paul, in his ministry from there, gets chased after town, after town, after town. As we mentioned in passing this morning in our sermon, he gets stoned and left for dead in Lystra. They thought he was dead. And Paul stands up and he brushes himself off. This is the word, this is the man who says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's what he's been experiencing. And to listen to the way some people use this text, maybe Paul didn't believe his own words. Maybe if Paul just believed in Jesus more, clung to Jesus more, he wouldn't have been thrown in prison, he wouldn't have been beaten, he wouldn't have been rejected. And I want to suggest Paul knows exactly what those words mean. And it's not what some people do to the text. Just in case you miss everything that Paul has to endure, he gives you a rather lengthy list in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. That's where he talks about, I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, I've worried about my brethren, I've worried about all these things. Again, this is the words, this is the man who says, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Well, It turns out when you read Philippians, you get a glimpse of exactly what Paul means by those words. And it's far different than it's typically used. Even when he writes the letter of Philippians, Paul's life is in a tough bind. When when the letter starts, remember he's gotten word from Epaphroditus. He's sitting in prison, Paul is. And the church at Philippi has sent a letter to Paul from Epaphroditus, along with their gift. And Paul is going to send this letter back. Now imagine if we get up on Sunday morning and we announce, good news, we've heard from Brother Paul. It's been a while. He's in jail. But let's read and see what Paul has to say today. What mood would you expect Paul to be in? He's a prisoner. He hadn't seen anybody. He hadn't communicated with anybody in a long time. And when you open the book of Philippians, here is how Paul begins the letter. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in my prayer for all of you making my joy complete. (laughs) You get a prisoner who's writing a letter to encourage the church. Shouldn't it be the other way around? I mean, that's why we sent Epaphroditus there to encourage Paul. But Paul instead turns around and he writes this letter of Philippians to the church in Philippi. And this letter, more than any other letter, 
is filled with joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. How do you do that sitting in jail? Not only that, you read Romans chapter 1, verse 12, and you find out that Paul is in prison and he's sitting there between guards. In verse 15, you find out while Paul is in prison, there are people outside of jail, Christians claiming to be Christians, going around and preaching and teaching, and they're putting down Paul and they're mocking Paul. He can't defend himself. He can't send a letter out and saying, all these people are lying, you should believe me. He's in jail while other people are out there preaching. And then you get this, this well-known verse in verse 20. Paul says, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. I don't know how this, I don't know how my trial is going to turn out. I don't know if I'm going to rot in jail. I don't know if I'm going to be let out of jail. I don't know if I'm going to live or die. But here's the amazing thing. This church that knows Paul is in prison and this church that maybe expects Paul to be all discouraged and down about stuff, at every one of these moments in life that you think would put a person down and keep them down, Paul says, but everything's okay. Look at this. Verse 15, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul says, I've been in jail. I know that sounds bad, but it's really good news. They put me in jail. I've got a captive audience, the guards, and every one of them knows that I'm in prison for Jesus Christ. You can preach a lot of sermons to a guy that can't go anywhere. And Paul says, I know I'm in jail. I know you're probably worried about me sitting in jail here, but I want you to know it's turned out for the better. I've taught someone the gospel. I've taught lots of people the gospel. And these people out there in verse 15, some people who are out there preaching Christ out of envy and strife, Paul says, that's okay with me. Say what you want about me as long as you're preaching Jesus. That's, that's good things. Isn't that neat? As bad as it may seem that people are out there putting me down and questioning my authority, if they utter the name of Jesus, God is going to do something powerful to that. Oh yeah, and by the way, I don't know if I'm going to live or die here, but I'm okay no matter how that one turns out either. For me to live is Christ. I get to, I get to serve, I get to continue ministering, I get to continue writing and, and teaching people about Jesus. I'm, if I live, even if I live in prison, I'm okay. Yeah, but Paul, you might die. Yes, and if I die, I'm okay with that too. To die is gain. You see, it doesn't matter Paul's situation. It doesn't matter what's going on in Paul's life. Paul says, God is able to work with this. And God is able to bring blessing and His will through any situation. With that background, now read Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You have indeed concerned for me, but you have had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Whether I'm in prison or I'm not in prison. Whether they're speaking ill of me or preaching Christ. Whether I'm healthy 
or whether I'm unhealthy. Whether people follow me or people reject me. Whatever's happening, I've learned to be content. Philosophers of the ancient world, the first century world, often spoke of contentment as being your ability to control your own circumstances. To define your own destiny. Contentment. I can do whatever I feel I need to do. But for Paul, it's just the opposite. It's God can do it, not me. And, and here's the next statement. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then comes the verse on keychains, t-shirts and tattoos. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It may be that the way we've translated that verse is added to our misunderstanding. In the Greek language, this verse actually starts with one word, panta, which means all. And a better translation of this verse that might clear up some of the problems, I can do all this through the one who gives me strength. I can do all this that I've already been through. Paul, how can you sit in jail and say that's good news? How can you look and see people mocking you and questioning you and say, that's good news? How can you see your own life virtually coming to an end and say, that's good news? Paul says, I can do all this because God's the one who gives me strength to do it. All of these things I can do, Paul says, through Him who gives me strength. You see, Paul is not saying that God will always get you out of it. He is, though, saying God will get you through it. There are some things in life that we face that none of us want to face. And if we run to this verse and we offer this verse as some hope that you'll beat cancer, that you'll get through this divorce, that you'll get past this unemployment, that you'll get through because you can do all things, sometimes the answer is no, you're not going to get through it. You're not going to get out of it. But Paul says, you know what? In the midst of it, God will be right there by you. And God will strengthen you to endure whatever you face. Now, do you see what happens if you misapply that verse and you offer promise that Scripture is not offering? What happens when it doesn't turn out the way you want to? Who gets blamed? God does. Well, the Bible said I can do all things, whatever I wanted to. No, the Bible didn't say that. But it did say God will be present in the midst of that. In a Roman jail cell, in a courtroom, in a hospital, wherever you are, God will be with you in the midst of that. That's what Paul is saying. There's a world of difference. But notice, it's on both sides of that. Paul says, I've learned when things are going very well, that the only reason I can do what I'm accomplishing is because God is the one strengthening me to do this. I really appreciate it on Wednesday night. We're going through the video series. And, and one of the things you may remember is when, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness. He said there's one more testing. There's one more trial that they're going to have to face. And it'll be the one that's hardest. Do you remember what it was? Deuteronomy chapter 7. 
When you get into a land that you did not build those houses and you did not plant those fields and you harvest from things when everything is going well, when your life is peachy and comfortable, don't you dare forget who I am. Paul says, I've learned that when things are going well, it's still God who gives me strength to do it. I've learned that when life is humming along the way it's supposed to, my health is great, my marriage is great, my kids love me, my dog hugs me when I get home, everything is the way it's supposed to be. The only reason that happens is because it's God who's making it happen. And it's God who's giving me the strength in the midst of all that. And when it all comes crashing down and nothing looks right and nothing looks hopeful, Paul says, and God will be there too. It's not just a one-sided text. It's not Pollyanna. It's the real world. And Paul says, I can do all of that through the one who gives me strength. This is a wonderful text of Scripture. It is a hopeful text of Scripture. But it was not written in the 21st century through the lens of the American dream. And too many times we have defined Christian faith and spirituality through that lens. If you'll only serve God... You'll have a house, two cars, a nice family, and all will be well. And what Paul says in Philippians 4.13 upends that understanding. Jonathan Merritt is a religious news writer who also wrote at length on this verse because it's so often abused. And in his writing he says, I need a God who hunkers down in life's trenches with me, who isn't afraid to get mucky and messy and wade with me through the tragedy and pain and failure. The God of the Bible, Jesus, is better than we've imagined because he gives us what we actually need, strength to survive our moments of weakness and a sense of freedom even in life's prisons. The next time you hear Philippians 4.13 quoted, Remember who says it. And the next time you see it on a coffee mug, remember where this text was written from. Not in a Roman palace, but in a Roman prison. And remember how it is that Paul says, you know what, wherever I'm at, I'm going to be okay. It may not turn out the way I hope, but I'm going to be okay. It's the nature of ministry to watch people suffer and endure terrible things. And some of you here this evening are still in the midst of awful tragedy that you've had to experience. And I would be lying to you if I stood up here and said, tomorrow you'll wake up and because Jesus, life will be all beautiful and cloudy and butterflies. I can't tell you that. But I can tell you this. You can do all of it through Christ who gives you strength. God's Word is meant to be a blessing and to represent God faithfully. And may we as God's people handle it with care and be faithful in our proclamation of it. So let me offer you the invitation of Jesus Christ this evening. Because Jesus died and because Jesus rose, Paul knew that even in a prison, life would be okay. That there is another side at some point when Jesus Christ will be made known as Lord to all people. 
He says in Philippians that there will come a day when every knee should bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's because of that that Paul said, I can do it another day. And we offer you that hope in the name of Jesus to put him on in baptism and to come up to be part of that victory and part of that faith and part of that confession. We invite you to come while we stand and sing.